If you would, I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. And as always, there is a Bible app event for this message, and you'll be able to follow along that way if you enjoy doing that. Um, That's a great way to follow along. Revelation 5 is where we're going to be. And I want to begin by just asking you this question. Have you heard the expression, bring it? Anybody heard that? Like, bring it. Have you heard that? Um, You know, I, I Googled around a little bit, and I guess there's a, that's a title for a television dance show. Did you know that? Yeah, it's called uh, Bring It, a dance reality show that focuses on the dance team, the Dancing Dolls from Mississippi. I can't imagine why I'd never heard of that before. I just don't know. That's not my kind of thing, I guess, right? When I think of the word bring it, I do not think of dancing at all. In fact, I think of the Spartans, you know, the warriors in ancient Greece, those guys, the the guys with the helmets. And I think of their, their slogan. Their slogan is Molon Labe. And I looked that up and how to say it finally. Molon Labe. What in the world does that mean? Molon means come. Labe means take. Okay? So the idea is that a Spartan soldier would hold out his sword to his opponent and he would say, are you really that tough? Then come and take. Molon Labe. I like that. Don't you like that? And and that was really, I guess, the battle cry of Leonidas when he took 300 Spartan warriors and held off thousands of Persians when Xerxes was coming at the uh, the gap there the, of Thermopylae. That's a great story in history. I love those guys. Molon Labe. In fact, Pastor Appreciation is coming up uh, sometime uh, in the next year or so. And uh, Sig Sauer actually has a 45 caliber handgun that has Molon Labe written right into the handles. I don't know if you... I'm just giving you that information. Do with it as you please. Okay. You know, I'm just being facetious. I'm kidding, of course, right? Yeah. Molon Labe is really a variation, in my mind, of the phrase, bring it. Bring it is a, a sort of statement of readiness. It's a statement of willingness. It's a statement that says, this is the time. And this is the place. And this must happen. And when this has happened and it is done, that will be a good thing. Bring it. Bring it. I think that John, the man who is writing the words of the book of Revelation, had a bring it mentality, not the Molon Labe kind of bring it. John wasn't looking for a fight. John was an old man. His fighting days were behind him. But he was, like many throughout history, looking for God to bring an end to the reign of evil and injustice. And so he's saying, God, bring it. Bring it, Jesus. And what God gives to John and to us is hope. Because while we might feel like, man, no one can ever fix this messed up world, there's one who can, one who will fix this messed up world. There is one with a capital O who is worthy of bringing justice and ending injustice. And he is spoken of in Revelation 5. So we're going to read these 14 verses. We're going to read them very quickly. And then we're going to talk about them a little bit. So follow along as I read, please. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. 
he is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, set out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding gold bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. That's my loud angel voice right there. Verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Wow. I just got goosebumps. I've read that just a couple hours ago, and I didn't get goosebumps. That's an amazing event that's happening there in heaven. And as Christians mature, most of us really appreciate what's being said here because we kind of get a bring it mentality regarding the events that are in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is about justice being carried out. So the book of Revelation says to us, justice is coming, and we say, bring it. The book of Revelation is about injustice being brought to an end. Injustice is ending, and we say, Bring it. And with thinking people, among thinking people, this is almost a universal desire. You see it throughout the Bible. You see it in the Old Testament, for example, in Psalm 139. So we have two families here that have newborn babies. I went to Dubois uh, for the Reardon baby, and I went to Dubois for the uh, Tubbs baby, and they were in state college. Yeah. (laughs) So that didn't quite work for me. So I pulled over, I was going to do it while I was driving down the road, my wife said, you're not going to read the Bible to them while you're driving, no. So I pulled over, and I called the tubs, and did for them exactly what I did for the reared, and exactly what I've did for every child in the past 25 years of ministry. I went into that room with the Reardons, into the maternity ward, there with the mom and the dad and the little baby, and I said, could I please read to you from Psalm 139? What a great psalm. Listen to these words. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to me. Well, that is good stuff right there. Isn't that great stuff? And and the very next verse says, 
How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. That's good poetry right there. That's great stuff. That's the kind of thing to read when there's a brand new baby and two brand new parents standing there with that brand new baby or sitting there with that brand new baby. But listen to the very next verse. It's almost odd. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. I don't read that to new parents. I, just, I, I leave that part out. It's not that it's bad. It's just not conducive to presentation in a maternity ward. It doesn't work there very well, right? But here's what it shows you. It shows you that even when you're thinking about all the goodness in life and God's provision and his presence and his love and his thoughts toward you, even in that moment, somewhere in the back of your mind, there's just this sense that I want to know that you're going to repay evil, God. You're going to do that, right? Because evil has happened and I've seen it in my life and I really need to know that you're going to take care of it. God, I want you to bring it. I want you to repay evil. People cried out for it in scripture. People cry out for it all the time. You've cried out for it in your daily life. I mean, when you read of evil in the news, this past week, a shooting on Oak Ridge. That's 15 minutes from here. One o'clock in the morning. Killed two dogs. What's going on there? Probably more than we know. Perhaps more than we want to know. And when I hear that, I say, oh, Jesus Bring it. They found Nalani Johnson's body just one county away from here. A little toddler. A community that didn't even know her because she was from a different place. Held a vigil in memory of her. Wow, when I hear that, I say, bring it. Shootings. West Texas. What is wrong with people? (laughs) And when I read about that, yeah, Jesus, bring it. You see, most of us have moments in our life when we realize it would be a real blessing if you would bring it, Jesus. And when you read the book of Revelation, blessing is mentioned. Blessing. In fact, it was right at the very beginning of the book. The first time that we opened this three weeks ago, I I, I read to you from chapter one, and in verse three, you heard me read these words. Blessed is the one who reads aloud these words of prophecy. And I said, cool, I got a blessing for reading these. And blessed are those who hear it. And you get a blessing from hearing this. But how does that blessing happen? I mean, do you ever wonder, what kind of blessing does reading this book give? I want to say, I don't think it's some kind of a mystical blessing that comes just from hearing or saying the words. I I spoke to someone one time. We were talking about the book of Revelation and how difficult it can be to understand it. And this person said something like this. You know what? I read it just so I'll get a blessing. I really don't care what it says. I don't pay any attention to the content. I just read it because it says I'll get a blessing if I read it. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. He he saw the blessing as being separate from the content, almost like saying the words or hearing the words was like some kind of magical blessing was gonna come upon you. Let me just say this. There are no magic words in the Bible. Okay, that's not what it's about. The blessing isn't that. 
Well, what is a blessing? It comes to us from reading the book of Revelation. Maybe, maybe it's the blessing of becoming a prepper. Do you know what a prepper is? I'm prepared for whatever's coming. I'm a prepper, they would say. I am not a prepper, by the way. But such people feel that reading the book of Revelation kind of gives them a heads up and tells them how to prepare for the end. It does, but probably not in the way they think it does. You see, the preparation that God instructs us to do over and over again is very seldom external and almost always internal. It's spiritual. And so the kind of prepping that God wants us to do is repentance and drawing near to him and being in prayer before him and worshiping him and communicating with him and hearing from him and sharing him and his love with one another and with those that have not experienced his love. You see, in regards to our hearts, that's where God wants us to prep not in regards to our food pantries. If you want to stock seven years of food, preparing for the tribulation, have at it. (laughs) But I don't think that's the blessing that God's talking about in this text. Here's the blessing I believe God is speaking about in this text. It's much more practical. It's much more straightforward than those things. I think that God is satisfying this innate desire that all of us have to see evil vanquished and justice prevail. He is telling us that justice will come and there's a blessing in reading that truth. And he is telling us that injustice will come to an end and reading that truth gives you a blessing. And I think in the book of Revelation, the blessing is knowing God's gonna bring it. He's gonna bring it. It's a blessing to know that. In Revelation 5, God actually promises to bring it. He talks about the scroll. Let's look at this kind of one verse at a time. Your Bibles are still open, right? I'd like you to follow along if you could. I want to talk about the nature of the scroll. In verse 1, he says, I saw a scroll in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And the first question I'm asking is, what is that? What's a scroll? Yeah, that doesn't help me. I know what a scroll is. What, what, What is that scroll? I had a professor, a very astute professor, uh, who I respect a lot. He, he said that that scroll is a title deed to the universe. That still doesn't help me. What, what is that scroll? Maybe it is a title deed for the universe, but when it gets opened in the chapters to follow, there's really no legal language there that talks about this being a title deed to the universe. What this scroll is, is really, you might think of it as an instruction set. You might think of it, if you're a computer guy, as a flowchart or lines of code, I might think of it as a recipe for justice. That when this scroll is open, it explains how justice will come to the world. You can see why that's important, right? Because we just talked about our longing for justice when we see things in the news. What is wrong with people? We say that all the time. And if you read the Bible, you know the Bible answers that in Genesis chapter 3. That's what's wrong with people. And so the, I don't need to ask what's wrong with people. The question I find running through my head is how much longer is God going to allow this stuff to happen? Is he ever going to bring an end to this? Will justice ever ring throughout the land? And will injustice ever be vanquished and be gone? Let me give you a spoiler. <laughs> it's coming. The scroll contains that which we hunger for, the justice of God, that which we even demand at times. Think about how the scroll looks for a minute. There are a number of characteristics about it. First, it's complete. 
In verse 1, remember, it said it had writing on both sides. And then it says it's sealed with seven seals. Well, if it's writing on both sides, it's not like God started writing the instructions for justice to be completed and got tired and gave up. He filled it right up. So it's complete. And seven seals, you remember, we've talked about this. Seven is a number of completion, totality. It's complete. And it's sealed. The judgment of God is sealed up, waiting to be opened, to be released. And it cannot be executed until the scroll is open. The complete and final judgment of God, as John sees it, is sealed up in that scroll. And so that kind of brings us to a problem. Who's going to open that thing? I mean, who is worthy to do that? Think of the very best person you know. Pastor Steve. No. How about Mother Teresa? Who doesn't think she's good, right? How about Billy Graham? (laughs) Maybe they're good enough that they could execute this justice. Ask yourself that question. Would that person you're thinking of have the moral authority, the moral uprightness, the holiness to go ahead and carry out that justice against evil? Probably not, because they're part of the evil. I mean, Mother Teresa and Billy Graham and you and I know that God is true when he says there is no one righteous, no, not one. If everyone's guilty, then there's no one who's worthy to throw the first stone. No one can cast the first stone. And that's the problem that John is witnessing. In verse 2, it says, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll and even look inside it. And that makes John weep. He says in verse 4, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. I think he's, he's weeping because he feels like no one can ever set things right. And this world is doomed. John wants God to bring it, to open the scroll, to eliminate the injustice, and to bring in justice. But no one is able because no one is worthy. There's no hope. There's only tears. There's only despair. But in verse 5, we see the solution. The lamb is worthy. Verse 5, one of the elders says to me, do not weep. See the lamb of, I'm sorry, see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. Think about the titles here of this person that's going to open the scrolls. First, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's Jesus. Second, he's the root of David. That's Jesus. That is the promised Messiah. And his qualification is even detailed here. He can open it, for he has triumphed. Death could not defeat him. His resume is impeccable, and his holiness is impeachable. And, uh, or is it unimpeachable? It's that. Whichever one's right, that's what it is. <laughs> but here's the deal. His resurrection, his triumph, shows his worthiness. And look at his appearance in the first part of verse 6. If you look up, if you Google this kind of appearance, you get the most bizarre pictures that any artist has ever drawn. Seven horns, seven eyes, throats cut open, blood all over the place. It's just not ready for prime time. But I don't think that God wants us to literally see that kind of thing I think there's a lot of symbolism there. Well, look at verse six. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it has been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. Okay, so he's been slain, sacrificed, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He sacrificed so that humankind need not face this coming judgment. 
And you and I know that those who trust him, who repent of their sins and turn their hearts toward him, will not face justice because the lamb took the penalty. He took the judgment. But don't miss this. And listen to this part. This is in italics here. So listen to this part. And the second one's bolded. Those who refuse to trust him, who persist in wickedness, who will not repent of their sin, they will face justice and they will be without excuse. Here's the bold part. They can hardly accuse the lamb who was slain for their sin when he judges them because they were offered forgiveness through his blood and they refused it. Do you get that? That's why he's worthy. (laughs) He looks like he's been slain. The second part of the verse six says, he has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Here's what I got for you on that seven. He's complete. Nothing's getting past him. He can do what is necessary to do. And he won't need any assistance in opening that school. He's the whole package. Now look at what he does in verse seven. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. I gotta tell you, if you or I had done that, there would be a little, you know those Roombas, those little iRobot vacuums? One of those would come out of the wall in the throne room of heaven and it would come over and it would vacuum up our ashes and take them out because none of us could go to the throne of God and say, give me the scroll. But there's one with a capital O who can do that. He is worthy. He goes and he takes the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And then we see heaven's reaction. We see this worship of the lamb who was slain. And they're not just singing songs in worship. There's a worship there that has a sense of reverence, reverencing this lamb above all else. In verse eight, when he had taken it to four living creatures and at 24 hours fell down before the lamb, each had a harp and the bowls and so on, they fell down. It is not that they carefully kneeled. You know, it wasn't like they said, okay, the lamb took that, let's let me get my robe here. I always get tangled in this thing whenever I'm getting ready. None of that is happening. Read the language. They fell on their faces in reverence before the lamb because they know there's no one above him. And he has just taken the recipe for the judgment of the earth. They worship him because they recognize why he is worthy. It's not just because he is God although that would be enough. It is not just because he rose from the dead, although that would be enough. It is not just because he ascended and sat at the right hand of the majesty on high, although that would be enough to say, let's worship him. They're worshiping him because, well, the first part of verse nine, he is worthy to take the scroll and its seals because he was slain. They're worshiping him because he gave his life. He gave his blood. He gave that. The fact that he did that makes him worthy. And we recognize this worthiness because he did this for whosoever will. I mean, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. It's right there in verse nine. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. No one's left out. No one can cry foul and say, oh, no, I didn't do it for me. No, everybody, completeness. And we recognize his worthiness because he transforms those whom he loves. First part of verse 10 You have made them a kingdom and priests to serve our God. It's not uh, just that Jesus died so they could be forgiven. That's great. But it's more than that. He died so that we could be transformed and through the blood of Christ made worthy. We recognize him because he gives them honor. And they will reign, verse 10 says, 
on the earth. You see, we worship the lamb who was slain because we revere him above all else. We worship the lamb who was slain because we recognize why he's worthy and we worship him because we know he is the one who will bring it. (laughs) It is as though all of heaven knows there's someone who can bring the scroll, who can execute justice. And we're not gonna read it just because of time. We already read it, verses 11 through 14. But in effect, what they're saying is, yeah, bring it, all of heaven 10,000 times 10,000 are saying that. Bring it. When I was in college, um, going to Bible college, uh, I came home for the summer and I'd work different jobs. This one summer I was working a job bagging charcoal in a charcoal factory. Buddy, you ever want a dirty job, that would be the one for you, you know? I'm sure there's dirtier jobs, but that's the dirtiest one I ever had and I grew up on a farm, yeah. I can remember, though, sometimes I'd be sitting there with the guys during a break or during a lunch break, and we'd all be sitting together, and they had learned that I was studying to be a pastor, and so they liked to ask me questions. You know, oh, here's a guy who studies the Bible. Let's ask him questions, sometimes to know the truth and sometimes to challenge me on the truth and just to argue and things like that. One of the guys, he liked to pretend he knew everything about everything there is to know everything about, including the Bible. Do you know people like that in your life, Right? And I remember at one point, he said to everyone with just striking authority, he said, that book of Revelation, huh, that's just one nightmare after another. (laughs) I thought to myself, I never heard that before. The book of Revelation is just one nightmare after another. I never thought of it that way. And I still don't think of it that way. I still don't. (laughs) I would guess if you were one who never turned his heart to the lamb who was slain for you, then yeah, If you never repented and trusted Jesus, then the book of Revelation could be nightmarish. But for those who are trusting Christ, like John was trusting Christ, for those who know their redemption comes through the shed blood of Jesus and that blood alone, like the 24 elders, for those who understand he has purchased us for God, as Revelation 5 says, for those of us who are sick to death of being constantly bombarded by the headlines we're bombarded with. The book of Revelation is strangely comforting. Not like a, I can't wait till they get theirs. Not that at all. But in a way that knows with Abraham, surely the judge of all the earth will do right in a way that understands of Jesus that he is not slow in keeping his promises, as some people consider slowness, but he is patient, wanting everyone to come to repentance. It's somewhat comforting to understand that justice is coming. And when we hear that, we say, bring it. And it's comforting for us to know that injustice is ending. And when we hear that, we say, bring it. Even so, Lord Jesus, bring it. (laughs) I want to pray that we would gain the comfort God intends from that very concept. If you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and we'll pray. Father in heaven, in, in one sense, it is troubling to all of us to imagine judgment and justice being, being doled out. (laughs) And I think it's troubling to you because you're not willing that any should perish but wanting all to come to repentance. So that part of our nature, I think, comes from you, God, that says, please show mercy. Because if we're trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, that's all we got. 
is mercy, that you have shown mercy, Jesus, by paying a penalty for our sin. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. We trust that the judge of all the earth will do right, and we understand that even this scroll and the opening thereof is right. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. And so we trust you. When we see these things in our world that are so deeply troubling to us, remind us that you will fix this broken existence and that you will bring it. Even so, Lord Jesus, bring it. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you.